Well, again, we're studying 1 John here during the summer, and I'd like you to look at chapter 3 of 1 John, and beginning at verse 4. Always kind of a disadvantage. I use the New American Standard Version, and we use the NIV Version in here, and the words are just slightly different. And I'll probably, uh, I'll read the NIV, but I'll probably be referring back to the other translation as I speak today. But in chapter 3 of 1 John, beginning at verse 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he, that referring to Christ, Christ appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous and just, or just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone that does not love his brother. Now, just basically speaking today about living ethically, a lot of times when we talk in the church, we're talking redemptively. We're talking about the message of salvation. Christianity and 1 John is a message of God's redemption in Christ. But 1 John and all of the New Testament is a message of how we are to live ethically. Just before coming down here, I was looking at a book about Paul's theology written by William Barclay, a a theologian uh, from Great Britain. Probably his heyday would have been in the 1940s into the early 1960s. And he was speaking about this very point. Christianity is an ethical religion. It makes demands upon its adherents. Uh, God, our God, is a God of righteousness. And he expects us to live righteously. And we should anticipate that there is going to be a time when the God of this world will judge all of us according to his standards of righteousness. So when we look at this today, we first of all want to think about what are the ethics of God, what does it mean for God to be our father, and what does it mean for him to have a fatherly ethic toward us, then I would like to make an illustration of of how this could work its way out in our lives, And then how do we mature ethically as Christians? So as we look at the redemptive message, you can see this in verse 8 and in verse 5. Verse 8 first, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. That's redemption. We see it in verse 5, that Christ appeared to take away sin. That's the message of redemption. 
But as we look in verse 7 and verse 9, we see that Christianity and John's message is an ethical uh, letter. So he says, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. And then down in verse 9, no one who is born of God practices sin. And so we see this twin message here that is a part of John's message to the church. We are called to live an entire life of fighting against sin. When we become a Christian, that fight begins. And then positively, when that life begins in us, we are called to live in love and not merely fight against sin, but to fight to advance righteousness and love in all of our relationships. And so we, we think of this ethic. There's a negative side. There's a positive side to this. Now, as we look at John's gospel or epistle here, we're seeing that these things have been blurred. And that's really the key thing that John's speaking about, that these things cannot be blurred. When we live below God's standard, that is not Christianity. Or if we legalistically add to God's standard, still the same thing. That is not Christianity. Christianity is ethical living according to what is revealed in the scriptures. Now, when we look at John's message here, John gives us a what would be Jesus' self-definition of himself as God, and he gives us a picture here of his father's self-definition of godliness and godly ethics. So we see this in chapter 1, verse 5, where uh, John says, God is light. Now, he just doesn't stop there. He says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness, not at all. So we're getting an ethical picture of what God is like. Now, on the other hand, we come a little further into this letter, and we get another self-definition, In chapter 4, verse 8, and in verse 10, God is love. Now, this is to inform us. This is God's ethic. God is without sin. He is righteous. God is a God of love. And God expects us to be like himself. We must fight against sin, and we must do those things that are necessary to demonstrate that his love has come and taken residence in our lives. Now, this is to touch every area of our life. So if you've got a thinking life, then this is to be a part of your thinking life. We've got people that outwardly can demonstrate these things and be rather consistent about them. Uh, But if we were to take what they are thinking and somehow put them up on a screen where we could see what people are thinking, we would say, no, they are not living like God. They are not living truthfully, ethically. They're not loving people. Our goal is in our thought life to be thinking this way. Uh, 
I don't know about you, but I'm always having arguments with people that aren't there. Do you do that in your mind? Are, do people beat up on you that have never really, in fact, ever beat up on you and you're beating up back on them? That's a thing to be fought. That's not godly thinking. We, got, we must apply this to our motives. Um, I, again, when I go out to buy a car, I do. I want to buy it as cheaply as I can buy it. But I don't want to steal it. I don't want anything that's not... That, that somebody doesn't want to sell. I, I want to give them a fair price. But my motive is still to buy it as cheaply as I can buy it. Get that done in that manner. But our motives have to be pure. Our actions have to be pure. Our plans have to be pure. Now, watch this. Your dreams. And I don't mean the dreams that you mean you have when you're daydreaming and work. That too. In fact, if you're working... Don't daydream. <laughs> Do your work. But when you're in bed at night and you're dreaming and you're dreaming and you know that those dreams are not pleasing to God, well, you can do what I did and what I continue to do. I'll just pray and go into bed. Lord, I don't want to dream those kind of dreams. They're not honoring to you. You want to know the truth? God answers those kinds of prayers and takes those kinds of dreams away. We are a person, a whole person with a whole life, and all of it must be brought uh, into a sense of, of discipleship to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not our actions only. It's our thoughts. It's our motives. It's our words. It's our plans. It extends even to our dreams. Every thought needs to be taken captive, Paul says, to the obedience of Christ. So when we look at this, we need to look at God's revealed standards that are in the scriptures. We need to be careful not to apply to our own lives our own arbitrary standards. We shouldn't let other people apply their own made-up standards. You know, it's easy to set the bar at a height that you can jump over. But that's not what God does. God's law is perfect, and it's set that way. And it's set that way that we would attain to being like our God. So in 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10 that we're looking at here, it speaks of what a Christian is and what a Christian is not. A Christian does not practice sin. That's the word that's used here, practice a Christian is a person who practices righteousness. Sin is of the devil. Righteousness is showing that a person is of God, born of God, and is a child of God. Now, God's standards, perfection in this area of right and wrong and in this area of love, that's the standard. Now, what about when we come to think of this as a Christian we have come to faith. We have been redeemed. We are constantly being redeemed. We have been forgiven once for all of our sins, and we're constantly coming to God with the sins that we commit during the day, asking him to cleanse us of those things and take away the consequences of those things in our lives. But we're a child of God. 
Now, what does this mean to have an ethic of the Father? Because notice what it's saying in here is it talks about us being little children in verse 7 and in verse 10 to being born or children of God and verse 9 being born of God. This is the language of a family. God's our heavenly Father. Now, if we only had 1 John, let's just for a minute assume that our whole New Testament record outside of the Gospels consisted of 1 John. And we were to begin to read that letter five chapters over and over and over and over and over again until we practically memorized 1 John. Then we would say to somebody, somebody would say to you, oh, what does it mean to be a Christian? What is that like? Well, you know what you would have to say based upon the message of 1 John? A Christian is one of God's little children. In fact, a Christian is one of God's dear little children. That's what a Christian is. And we would be thinking of ourselves that way. Now, John is, from beginning to end here, uses this term over and over again. And how did he come to do that? I want to give an illustration. I was 11 months an interim pastor in Montgomery, Alabama. Well, toward the end of my time there, there was a bachelor, and he said, let's go get something to eat, spend some time together. So we went to a restaurant, sort of like a Red Lobster. And it was in the evening, and we were sitting there, and all of a sudden I saw coming in to take a table a younger wife, she had her mother, and she also had her daughter and the son, who was the oldest of the two children. And they came and sat down. Now, they're in the other part of the restaurant. They didn't see me. I saw them. Well, shortly, the mother got up with the daughter to take her to the bathroom. On the trip to the bathroom, the daughter spied me. So on the way back, the daughter and mother come walking over to the table. And we chit-chat back and forth. And, you know, I kind of held the little girl, probably fourth grade, put my arm around her. You know, just talked. She went back to the table with her daughter. Well, it wasn't but about four minutes. And here comes the mother. Now, this time, she's got the son. And she's coming like this. You can tell she is frustrated. <clears throat> so she comes over with her son, and she says, My son was so upset. His sister got to come over and see you, but he wasn't able to come over. So he insisted that he had to come over here. She said, They love you. The children in the church just love you. I says, Well, that's neat. She says... They imitate you at home. <laughs> now, when do you think they ever see me? Where am I when they see me, typically? I'm preaching. She says, yeah, they imitate you. I says, well, what do you mean? Well, they'll, be, they'll stand up, and then all of a sudden, they'll drop their 
hands down like this, with their hands like this, and they'll say, my dear friends. And I says, well, why do they do that? And she looked at me, and she said, well, you'd do that three, four times in every sermon. (laughs) And I said, I do? (laughs) And she said, yes. Now, what was I doing? It was my heart. It was instinctive. It's the way I felt about them. This is the way John feels about the people that he's writing to. Where did he get this from? He got it from his heavenly father. This is what was coming out through John. This is, in a sense, is what was coming out through me as I was preaching to these people. Why? Because it's true. This is the way things are. And it makes all the difference in the world. You you begin to think about what it means to be a child in a family. And you're not perfect. If you're like me as a child, I drove them nuts. I mean, the first grade, Mrs. Archer's taking me to the principal's office. Guess what I got in the first grade? Yeah, first grade. I was so glad when we moved to another town in the second grade, but there was Mrs. Barkley. We went from A to B. I thought, man, this is not a good scene. Mrs. Barkley was stroking me right on through grade school. I was a mess. Now, what about mom and dad? They just loved me, prayed for me. Dad took me to work all through the summer nurtured me. Isn't that the way it is? My little children. That's the message. And what did I end up? I ended up being a son who dearly loved his father, who dearly loved his mother, and guess how I began to conduct myself? In a manner that would please them, that would honor them, that would make them happy. When we have the ethic of a child of God and we look at these things, we find that in our heart we want to do these things not because they're right, but because we want to please our Father in heaven. Now that's, that's what John's saying here. How do we know that we're a Christian? Because we see this in ourselves. Do we see ourselves being perfect? I hope you don't ever come to the point you see yourself being perfect because, boy, I could put a pin in that balloon pretty quick for most anybody. No. But what do we see? A life that shows that we really love God. Well, let me carry this one step further. During the time I was in um, Montgomery, a young female doctor and her two children, she and her husband, moved to New Orleans. Well, now it's over, I don't know, well over a year later, and I'm an interim for uh, just over a year in Gulfport, Mississippi. I look out in the congregation one Sunday morning, and here's this doctor, and she's got her two children there. 
I couldn't believe it. They have come all the way up from New Orleans to be in that worship service. Well, you knew what I, I knew what I had to do. And so some point during the service, I very intentionally put out my hands and I said, my dear friend, and the daughter gave this to her mother and they all three looked at each other with satisfaction and I knew the morning for them was complete. <laughs> it should be like that. All right. Here's a man, his name's Manfred Gutsky. He ends up being a seminary professor here in Atlanta uh, in the 40s into the 60s. Now, he grew up in Canada, and as a child in this Canadian church, it struggled all through its existence in a rural farming community. During the time when Manford was a young, young boy, a new man and family moved into that town and bought one of the farms, and they came to the church. Now, it wasn't a very long time before this tight-knit community was totally abuzz because there was something new that was going on in the church, and that was that there was a new amount of finances coming into that church that had not been there before. And everybody knew it was from this new family, this farmer and his family. So pretty soon, this was being talked about at the Gutsky family table and the Gutsky extended family in the community. What's going on? All of a sudden, there's money there that is for the church, but there's also some special money being set aside for missionaries and mission agencies. And so the men, some of the men, went to this man, and they, they just said to him, why are you so generous? And he said, this, this farmer, an outsider, he says, well, it's because I love Jesus. I love God. I want to see people come to faith. And so I give to advance the gospel. Well, what Mr. Gutsky said was, it wasn't long after that that I saw my mother and father come to saving faith in Christ. And it wasn't long after that, they began talking about something. He says there was this word that all of a sudden became a part of our family, and it was called tithing. I'd never heard the word before, he said. It wasn't long after that that his family was finding the way to set aside money to give generously to missions. And that was a total world-changing concept in that family. And it wasn't long after that than this experience that happened in the Gutsky family happened in a half a dozen families in the life of that church and in that community. Why? 
Because here was a man who truly loved God, and he came in there, and he began to act very consistently according to the directions of God's word. And it changed everything. Now, Dr. Gutsky became, as a teenager, he said he came to faith. And as an adult, he was up here teaching at Old Testament primarily at the seminary in Columbia and Decatur, Columbia Seminary in Decatur. Now, if you were here when Jim Baird spoke a few weeks back on Sunday night about the history, the beginnings of the PCA, if you've got the CD that he made of that, we made of that and made available to you, he refers to one seminary professor that influenced Jim Baird's life at Columbia Seminary and he mentioned Dr. Gutsky by name. He said, when I went to that seminary, he says, I did not understand much of what these people were talking about. He said, I found the way they were talking about Christianity very confusing, except for Dr. Gutsky, who stood up and said, I want you to know that the Lord Jesus lives in me. And some other point in time, he said, the Lord Jesus lives in my heart. And if you remember what Mr. Baird said, he went straight to Dr. Gutsky, and he said, I don't understand exactly what you're talking about, but that's what I want. Now, this is what it means to come to faith in Christ. When Christ comes into your life like this, you become one of the little children. How can we expect there to be anything less than a total transformation of our nature in our character in the ethical level? Now, how do we mature ethically? John answers this throughout this entire epistle. And one of the key things that John says is this. We never, ever change anything or moderate anything in the nature of what God proclaims in his word. Black and white. Truth and error. This is it. Whatever the word of God says, that's the way it is. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 tells us that God writes these things so that we may not sin. You read it right here. Little children, you need to make sure that no one who sins has seen him or known him. Now, is he talking about the sins that I'm doing every day? No. What he's talking about is a life that is characterized by nothing but sin in self. When a person comes to faith in Christ, sin and self are crucified, and we begin to live a righteous life. Now, the problem is this. Today, we live in what we would call an era that is followed the teachings of Sigmund Freud. And Sigmund Freud basically said something like this. People 
feel rotten because they've been taught God's word that there is sin. And we want to help them by taking this word sin out of the way and say they're wrong. Or maybe they've made a mistake. Or maybe something else. And we've taken this word sin and we've changed it to mean something else. And what we really want to help people to do is to feel good about themselves. So test scores today, what about them? They mean much? Not much. Because test scores show where you are on some kind of a pecking order. All of this, all across our culture, has been changed. And as a result of this, no one really knows where they are. They're trying to be helped to feel good, but in reality, they feel rotten. The way to properly feel good is to understand what sin is and to repent of it, ask forgiveness for it, to know what love is and to aspire toward it. And when we do this, Holy Spirit brings a level of conviction and a level of joy into our lives. 1 John 2, 3 tells us that God wants us to keep his commandments. And he's telling this all through this epistle. We need to keep God's commandments then we should live accordingly. Uh, it's tough. Sometimes, I mean, I'm sitting there driving 800 miles up there to Pat's home in Michigan. How many people do you think are passing me if I'm trying to live this way? Many of them are. Come on now. Many of them are. I mean, I just, but this is the truth. This is the way we're to live. Um, I was telling the ladies here I found a fairly nice piece of jewelry the other day right outside the courthouse. Well, it's not mine. Sure would like to get it back to the owner. What do you do with it? You've got to find a way to deal with this. We need to be obedient in every area, our motives, our thoughts, even our dreams. Now, one last thing. How do we mature? Chip made an excellent point Sunday, kind of dug a little hole for himself with the church hoppers, if you were here Sunday. He mentioned, if you're church hopping, you'll never grow. You just won't grow. All through the letter of 1 John, it says this, abide. If it says it once, it must say it 20 times. If we stay with the Father, and if we abide with the Father, and if we abide with the Son, if we abide with the Word, if we abide with the Holy Spirit, if we abide in the church, if we don't run from things, if we just abide there and let the Word of God, the truth of God, hold our feet to the fire, it's amazing. It's amazing. A teacher will tell you this. Time on task, number one way students change. Time on task. The more time we give to things like this, to our Sunday worship, to our own private Bible reading, 
to mutual encouragement of one another, that time on task is this abiding idea. And this abiding idea is one of the principal ways that God uses to conform us into the ethic of God, into the ethic of his Father, into the ethic of being a child of this God. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing on us, on your truth. May it teach us, may it conform us increasingly over and over again from this day to the day you take us out of this world to make us more like Christ and help us to shine like lights in this world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.